Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So Pastor Ed uh, asked me to teach a couple weeks ago, and again, if you're not familiar with who I am, I'm Keegan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church. Uh, I oversee the junior high ministry. Uh, So when Pastor Ed asked me uh, to teach, I I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Is there anything specific that you'd like for me to teach on? Uh, And he responded back. He said, you know, just whatever the Lord's really speaking to you in your devotional time, uh, you know, in that kind of a sense. And so I really had a minor case of anxiety even with that. And it's not because my devotion life isn't strong or because I'm not hearing from the Lord. But there's sometimes in my devotional time and when I'm spending time with the Lord in the word uh, and in prayer, God is revealing things that um, aren't always so comfortable to share uh, in a setting like this, right? That God is revealing some things uh, in me and just within my life um, that creates a level of vulnerability. But uh, And I was wrestling back and forth of what would I teach as I knew a couple weeks ago um, and I was preparing a totally different message. I was considering uh, teaching through the Proverbs and about godly leadership. Uh, And then as I was uh, listening to the message last week, I was reminded one of the words that Pastor Ed said of what he would desire for me to teach. And then even as Brother Henry was up here teaching, the Lord was stirring in my heart that there was something else that he would like for me to share. And actually in my devotional time, I'm in the book of Romans. And so that's what we'll be looking at today is Romans chapter 7, a message I've titled Purpose for the Lord, Empowered by the Spirit. But as I was uh, considering this, I I was just, you know, the book of Romans is a very revealing book, a a doctrine-filled book. You think of the author, Paul the Apostle, as he's writing this, it's almost as if he's uh, presenting this case as a skillful lawyer, as he's laying out all of these things. And, you know, you think of all the things that come up, you know, where Paul addresses how all people are guilty of breaking the law of God. Right, we see that with the Gentiles. He says that those who've never even heard the law are without excuse because creation itself proclaims a creator. You you think of how he says to the to the Jewish people, they are without excuse having the law and, and falling short of the standard that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we see, you know, things of uh, how he has provided Christ as the propitiation, as he's given us Jesus Christ uh, to take the penalty of our sin to do this great exchange, to give us new life. You know, we see how, you know, as he talks about Abraham and how are we justified, we're justified by faith, just as Abraham was justified by faith. You know, the book of Romans, it talks about the grace of God, how we are undeserving of God's love and kindness and mercy, yet he gives it to us anyway. And so we see this true unveiling of grace and this great explanation of grace And with all these things, we see God still has a plan for Israel. We see that God uh, gives great instructions for believers today on how he would desire us to live our lives. And so a lot of things in the book of Romans. But as I focus specifically here in chapter 7, you know, we want to look at uh, things about the law and morality. Now, it's interesting because just, you know, in in my own time and just some time that I spend decompressing, 
I've been watching, and actually I was turned on to this new uh, documentary that I'm watching. And, and as I'm watching this, it's, it's really about astronomy and earth science and biology, and very, very fascinating. Very fascinating, you know, as I'm watching this and, you know, thinking of, you know, all the complexity of this earth, the complexity of, of our universe, the complexity of, uh, you know, the life on earth and all these beings. But, you know, there's something about this documentary that's very clear is that there is a very clear denier, denial of a creator. There, there is no, uh, you know, it's all kind of chopped away as all of these things are a product of chance, a series of lucky circumstances. Even an astronaut up in space and as he's looking out and he says, it's as if there was a masterful artist that created all these things. And it just, it blows my mind as I'm, you know, considering it, it really does blow my mind that some of the smartest people in this world could be so far, so far from understanding the creator. And as it's so evident, even as I watch this and I just say, wow, it is so evident as I look at the complexity of all these things. And it's, again, a fascinating documentary. And it's amazing to me. It builds me up in my faith. But it's, it's a scripture I'm reminded of in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. In Romans 1, verse 20, it says this. It says, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and through everything God made, they have clearly seen his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And I love is just in our own devotional time how the Lord will take what our personal life circumstances and bring revelation even in that. And as I'm, you know, watching this documentary and as I've been, you know, checking it out from time to time, it's something that the Spirit speaks to me often that's also in Romans chapter 1, that professing to be wise they became fools, right? And so we're seeing this. But, but then I'm thinking, because in my analytical mind, I'm wondering, because these pe people are, seem much smarter than I am in these topics especially. So I wonder, you know, how would I, if I had to, you know, if I were, had an opportunity to evangelize or to speak to somebody, like, what would I say? You know, what is the evidence of God? And what the Lord was really stirring in my heart even in that is this thought of morality, Right, that the, one of the evidences of God and really what separates mankind from every other created being is that morality. Morality, I'll give you guys the definition. Morality is principles or rules of conduct that distinguish right from wrong. Well, and to have morals, you, you need someone that establishes this morality. Right? And so I was, I was processing that. But then we even think of what we see in philosophy in our modern age as people would take morality as we very clearly have governments and laws and all these different things in order. But what do we see about morality? We see what's taught as moral relativism. Moral relativism where it says this, that the standard of morality can differ as it relates to a person's specific culture, situations, and feelings. Now, culture and situations are obviously can be very vast, but think even in that of feelings. Like, you know, morality can be based upon feelings. This is the philosophy that our kids are being taught, college students are being taught. You think of, you know, this thought of like, we're just all a product of chance. And even as we're praying for anxiety and depression, you know, I was, it was one of the things I was thinking of as I'm watching this documentary. Like, as you think of like, if, if that was true and we really have no purpose and we really have no plan and we're just a, a series of, of lucky circumstances. But no, you know, the thing is, is that God has created morality. He has engraved it in our hearts. And it goes to the moral absolute this is what the Bible teaches, and I find this to be true. 
I challenge us in our, in our set of thinking, you know, when we fall into this thought of moral relativism, is there a standard of truth? I would say yes. The standard of truth is that we are subject to these universal standards which are established by God and they apply to all humanity. That these do not change with culture, they don't change with our own personal values, and they don't change according to life circumstances. One of the greatest evidence of God is this. And now there's so many, I mean, we could just simply look at creation and just say, yes, of course there's a designer. We could look at the complexity of our bodies and how God has designed us and say, yes, of course there's a creator. We can look at the evidence of so many lives that have been changed for Christ, for those that have confessed and believed and all the testimonies in this room. I mean, there's much evidence, but as I was processing and preparing for this Bible study, that's one of the things that the Lord really stirred in my heart. I'll share another verse out of Romans before we jump into chapter seven, because even in line with this, it says in Romans chapter two, verse 14 and 15, that even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them that what they are doing is right. So we have this from God, a God-given conscience written on our heart, whether we know the Bible or not, we have the conscience. And of course, we have much more than just our human conscience as it relates to morality. We have the Word of God. You know, we see the laws of God revealed to us specifically in the Old Testament that we have these things. But that's where we're at in chapter 7. Remember I said Paul is presenting a case as a skillful lawyer. And what's on trial now is this thought of morality. And morality apart from the empowerment of the Spirit. I want you to keep in mind purpose for the Lord empowered by the Spirit. And I would share with this today that for many people, there's a spirituality apart from Christ. There is a great attempt to live a moral life and to earn favor with God and even to have a desire to live for Jesus, but falling short when it's not driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jump with me to chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. As we consider these things and as we consider what Paul presents here to the church in Rome. It says this, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? So really we see this great standard of morality that was presented through the, what's known as the Mosaic Law. This would have been the law presented through Moses. Uh, there in the first five books of the Bible, specifically Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Mosaic Law has three categories of types of laws. There were the, uh, the celebratory laws, you know, all of the, the celebrations that the Jewish people had. There were the civil laws of how God had desired this special nation to live. And then there were, of course, the moral laws. And many of us are more familiar with those, like the Ten Commandments, those type of things. This is the law that Paul is speaking of here in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Jump with me to verse 2. And he says this. He says, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and the law does, uh, uh, free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Verse four, it says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. 
and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. So where Paul starts off here with teaching on the laws, he's showing this. And really the law as it relates to our human morality is that the law is powerless. The law is powerless to save. And all the law really does is bring about condemnation. You know, condemnation is a word used throughout the book of Romans that essentially is speaking of judgment. And that's one of the clear cases that Paul presented is that judgment is what's going to happen upon sin. God is going to judge sin, this condemnation. And so as we look at the letter of the law, if you will, that the letter of the law is powerless to save, all the law does is really bring about this condemnation. Think about that for the unbeliever. The unbeliever will just stand condemned. That, you know, there's going to be a day for each of us where we'll have to stand and give an account for God. And that in that moment, that the unbeliever will just stand condemned having denied Christ for all their life, having denied the Lord. But, but think, too, of the person that is religious, legalistic, trying to live out, uh, you know, a life of morality apart from the power of the Spirit. Well, I'd be afraid, too, that that person might be the ones that hear, you know, the, those dreadful words from the Lord that I never knew you. I never knew you. As, you know, you think even for us as Christians that we can be sabotaged by the law, when we start in the spirit, and then as Paul would say in Galatians, that we think we can be perfected in the flesh, that we can really fall astray. But I see something else here in verse 4. And in verse 4, I see something about Paul giving us some insight of what a true conversion, a true Christian would look like. And I think it's interesting coming off of the weekend, listening to Pastor Tony as he was teaching, and it's a statistic, I'm not sure exactly where he got it from, but the statistic that says that 50% of people in the church uh, are not true conversions, are not truly born again. I, I thought that was an interesting statistic, but here's a good revealer that you can see in chapter four, uh, here, uh, sorry, excuse me, Romans chapter seven, verse four. When Paul says in that first part, dear brothers and sisters, this is the point that you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. You're united with the one who was raised from the dead. So here's one of the first things I see in this of what's a true conversion. As somebody that has taken the call that Jesus says that I deny myself daily to follow after him. We see that there's a death here, and this death is the symbolic death of self, of our sinful nature, that I've denied myself to follow Christ. It's like what Paul would say in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, I want you to meditate on that verse and really reflect on that verse and say, is this true about me? Is it no longer I who live, but Christ in me? Because when we come to the Lord, and I know many of us have made that step for salvation. Maybe we stood up at an altar call or raised our hand or whatever your experience was. I don't neglect it nor deny it. But can you really say this about your life? It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. This is a great picture of what a true conversion looks like. This is a great picture of how we are empowered through the Spirit. Another thing I see here in verse 4 as we continue on, uh, the second mark of a, what I would say is somebody that's been truly converted, has truly come to relationship with the Lord, it says this. It says that as a result, 
we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So as a result of this denial of self, as, this, as a result of crucifying the flesh, what do we see? We see a harvest of good deeds. You know, and this is always that hard balance. You know, as we think about, well, what is a, you know, where's this balance of me doing good works and taking on this law, you know, taking on morality as opposed to this harvest of good deeds? Because the reality is we will have fruit. We will have something to show for, uh, you know, the mark of a true believer. And, and I think a great scripture, uh, what can we look at to say, well, what is a harvest of good deeds? It's Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, probably a very familiar passage, but let's read it and think about this. So this harvest of good deeds that follows the mark of a true converted Christian, it says that the Holy Spirit would produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. There is no law against these things. But, but here's where we have to be careful. And here's that balance. If I look at this list of things and say, well, here's a list of things I need to do better in. Today I'm going to work on love, and tomorrow I'm going to work on peace, and the next day I'm going to work on joy, and then I'm going to work on my kindness. That's, that's really not the reality of this harvest of good deeds. This is going to be a natural fruit that comes from a life abiding in Jesus Christ. So it's not a list of things to strive to attain. It's really what the work that the Lord is doing in our hearts. This should be the things that people around us are seeing. This should be, you know, when, when people ask about you or we taught, you know, or people were describing you and thinking about you and thinking about your character, the harvest of good deeds, these would be the things that come to mind. How loving of a person. They're so filled with joy. They're, they're marked with kindness. Like these are things that we would see as a mark of a true follower of the Lord. So keep this in mind as we're continuing on in this section, as Paul is presenting this case, he's saying that the law is powerless, but a life surrendered to Christ is powerful. The law is powerless, but a life surrendered to Christ is powerful. Notice what he says in verse 5. In verse 5, he says that when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death so now we see a different harvest a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death now this is the not the death the denial of self but what this death is proclaiming is this is that death that is proclaiming a spiritual consciousness of god this is why some of the most brilliant people in this world could make this documentary and deny their very creator because there is this, this spiritual harvest of their sinful life has really put them in a spiritual dead consciousness of, of the Lord, that they would do anything to explain away the very person that created the morality in them. They would do anything to explain away, uh, you know, why, the, why they need to surrender their life to Christ. And there's evidence, just as there was of evidence of the harvest of good deeds, there's very much evidence of this harmful, uh, harvest of sinful deeds. It's in that same section of Scripture in Galatians 5, but the preceding verses, verse 19 through 21. Notice what that says. It says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And now we see this list, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, 
quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now it says, let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see this distinction of, you know, the law and trying to live in this morality apart from Christ. Right, what is it doing is, you know, and even as you think of this list, I'm sure we can look at this list and think of, well, at least three of those that I struggled or struggle or have struggled with, right? These are great revealers of what Paul is sharing here as he's dealing to the, Roman, uh, to the church in Rome and revealing to them this difference of a life surrendered versus a life striving, a life that is surrendered to Christ versus a life that is, uh, you know, just striving to be moral before a holy and righteous God. I want you to pick up with me now in verse 6. In verse 6, is one of the emphasis verses of, of tonight of why I've titled it, Purpose for the Lord, Empowered by the Spirit. It says this, that, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Such a powerful thought that, that Paul presents here. And, and the first thing I would share with you is this, that our resolve to live a moral life apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit will only lead to frustration, discouragement, and lawlessness. He's going to really cover this as we continue on, but I'll say that again, that our resolve, and when we purpose, even when we purpose to live for God, our resolve to live that moral life apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is only going to lead to frustration, discouragement, and lawlessness. But if you caught that at the end of verse 6, he says that now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And let me tell you, this life in the Spirit is one of freedom. The life in the Spirit is, is one that is of power. The life of the Spirit is when you were first born again. And when you confess your sin before a holy and righteous God, when you believed in your heart that Christ was raised from the grave, when you believed and knew that Jesus Christ is here with us, that this is my Savior, that Jesus Christ is my Creator, when that moment happened, and when that moment happened, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came inside of you. And this is the power, that same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the very power that God gives us. He says we don't have to do this morality thing according to the letter of the law. How do we live our life is now in the newness, in the newness of the Spirit. I think that that's such an important thing as we process this and as we consider what, what Paul is saying. And what is this new law or what is this law that's written on our heart? Well, this is the law of love. Think of what Christ said, that what are the greatest of these? To love, your, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. And what is the Spirit of God doing in us? Man, he has created a love for us that is greater than any other love we have. What he's done is that death to self would come. Is what he does is he now begins to allow us to deny ourselves and look at others' interests, even above our own, that loving of a neighbor. This is this harvest of good deeds. This is this picture of what God is doing. And this is started, remember, we're saved by grace through what? Or by faith through grace. I said it, sorry. We're saved by faith through grace, right? And as you think about that grace of God, that's the life of the Spirit. 
That God, just as we started with, you know, that God gave us his love, his kindness, his mercy. This is, the, this is the, this, um, new way of living in the spirit. Continue on as Paul is, again, revealing this issue with morality, the law. In verse 7, he says this. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Now remember, this is something that the Lord revealed to Paul. That what was he struggling with is covetousness. Uh, you know, that covetousness would be a lustful longing. This lustful longing or even a, uh, a jealousy that, that Paul would have. And he was saying that this is what the law did, is it revealed this in his life. And in verse 8 it says, But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to my life, and I died. Remember, that's that spiritual, uh, you know, the spiritual death that he's speaking of. So I discovered that the law's commands, which was supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Now consider this, Paul, if you know about Paul, and as we see through the scriptures, Paul was trained in the law. In the book of Philippians, he said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And we see this training in the law, what does he say? It brought him, it brought him death. It brought him further away from God. It actually brought him further from the understanding of trying to live this life of morality apart from God. In verse 11, it says, sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. And then in verse 14, it says, so the trouble's not with the law, for the law is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, just to give some additional commentary of what Paul is saying here. When I think of the law, I like to think of the law as a mirror. And I like what Paul says, the law is not bad. The law is good. The law, the law is holy. It's like a mirror. And when you stand before a mirror, you know, sure, we see the things of our strengths, but most often what are we looking at in the mirror are we're looking at the flaws. You're looking at the flaws, and the reality is the, the mirror is just a reality of what's reflecting there. I, I give you guys an example, and I, I'm blessed to do this tonight because my oldest son, uh, you know, he's just moved, uh, he just turned 14 and moved into the high school ministry. And when he, as he was growing up through the junior high, from time to time, I would kind of use him as an example in the teaching. By the way, he was the one on the cajon, so you can, you know, just, you can re make reference to that when he comes back up to, as they end in worship. But, you know, as I, here, here's, here's a picture of what I'm saying and what Paul is saying about the law, how it's, it, it can be revealed as a mirror. When Isaac was in seventh grade, he came up to me, came up to the junior high room, and the same day that his feet got the same size as mine, his voice also dropped. He said, Dad, my feet are as big as yours. He just got some new shoes, right? And I said, okay, Isaac, that's cool. And that lasted for about a couple weeks until, literally it felt like that, lasted a couple weeks, so all of a sudden he's in size 12 shoes, and I'm still taller than him, and it's like, okay, obviously one day Isaac's going to be taller than me. 
right? And over the, and you know, I kept saying that, you know, well, eventually he'll be taller than me, and I'm five, eight, and three quarters. So anybody under, you know, anybody under six foot, you know how we use those increments, right? And so every time I look in the mirror, it's the same, right? Maybe if, if anything, getting a little shorter, right? But you know, you, you, you know, you, you think about the mirror doesn't lie. And then what's happening with, with Isaac is as is, is days are progressing, as weeks are progressing, right? All of a sudden, I'm not looking down on him anymore. I'm kind of looking him right there in the eye. And then one day it happened. That day it happened, they said, I think Isaac's taller than you. How did we test it? We went and looked in the mirror. And sure enough, the mirror didn't lie. The mirror revealed a truth. And he continues to get taller, and I continue to not. But here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> if I took that and attempted to fix the problem through the mirror, it's just going to make the situation more evident. That's kind of what Paul is saying, is the more I realize my covetousness, the more it stirred up the evil within me. If I was to really, you know, in that silly analogy I gave you, if I was to really look in the mirror and expect the mirror to help me get taller, well, it's, it's not going to happen. All it's going to do is make it more and more evident, the shortcoming, right? It's going to make it more and more evident. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. And so think about it like this. It's like the more I try the harder I fail. The more I try, the harder I fail. And so, you know, when, when Paul says that the law is holy and spiritual, it's because what, what I see with that, what Paul is saying is that the law is not bad. It's holy and spiritual because what we see through the law of God, what we see through the law of God is it expressing the nature uh, and the will of God for people. You know, the law is important. It reveals some great things and characteristics that we should know about our Heavenly Father, about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit. The law is good, but of course the danger is trying to, is when we try to fulfill the standard of the law, is what we're doing in essence is trying to be like God. So if we take the law, and we look at these ceremonial laws, and we look at the civil laws, and we look at the moral laws, and we try to fulfill all of these things, we are in essence trying to be God. There was only one man who perfected that, and of course, it was the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God. Well, and you think about that, isn't that none other than what Satan did? None other than when Satan, who saw God and the goodness of God, and wanted to be like God. So I would challenge you in that. I would challenge myself in that. This is what God is challenging me, is that when I'm living this Christian life, I can't do it depending upon myself, upon my abilities. Notice the self-determination that Paul is speaking against, the self-determination to live for this holy or to try to fulfill the letter of the law, the spiritual law, as in verse 15 through 21. And I think for all of us, we can relate to our brother Paul. He says this, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I, if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. 
that when I want to do what is right, inevitably I do what is wrong. That's that picture of Paul really just bringing home and reemphasizing. It's like, you see, the more I try, it's the more I fail. The more I try, the more I'm self-determined, the more that I'm, you know, as the world would teach me to put my best foot forward and pull up my bootstraps, the more I do that, it seems like the, hard, the farther and deeper that I am as it relates to the things of the Lord. So self-determination, think about that. When you think about self-determination, this is ultimately just pride. It, it really is. It's just pride that is not only hindering our spiritual maturity, but that self-determining pride is bringing us backwards. That's kind of what Paul is saying. It's like the more I want to do and determine to do what is right, the worse it gets. So I just, you know, wonder if that just even, if I'll pause there, if that speaks to some in this room today. You know, I just, uh, I, I would encourage you to take that reflection from the mirror and just really consider where you're at with the Lord. That if you're, you know, one of the things as, as a pastor, and of course I oversee junior high, but I do take on a lot of other pastoral duties through the week. And it's one of those things that I cringe just about every time I hear somebody tell me, you know, I'm trying harder to do the things of the Lord. I'm trying harder to have a better devotion life. I'm trying harder to pray more. I'm trying hard to get to church more often. You know, as you think of those things, and all those things are good. It's good to have a devotion life. It's good to be in prayer. It's good to attend church. But the reality is when you're self-determined in that, your purpose for the Lord, apart from the empowerment of the Spirit, you've missed it already. What you're going to find is that fall is this self-determination. Is this is going to be this pride that sneaks in you. That's going to ultimately, not, not only is it not going to progress you in your walk with the Lord, it's going to start to bring you backwards. This is what Paul is sharing. He's essentially what we can see from this is how knowledge, and and I've talked to a lot of people with a lot of great biblical knowledge, but not that harvest, that harvest of good deeds. Because knowledge won't deliver us from the effects of sin. Self-determination will fail. And even becoming a Christian, because Paul writes this, he's no longer the Saul of Tarsus persecuting Christians. Saul is a born-again, regenerate Christian when he writes this letter. He says, the more that I do, you know, that the things that I want to do, what does he say in verse 21? That I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. He says this is a follower of Jesus Christ. So think about even the life of a Christian has its struggles and imperfection, right? So as you consider that and you consider this empowerment of the Spirit, I want to remind you of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that the work of the Holy Spirit begins at salvation, yes. And that happens in an instant. Being born again is in an instant. That instant that you confess your sin and believe in your heart in Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear, Jesus is clear, that you become born again, sealed with the Spirit. But becoming like Christ is a lifelong process. This is why it's so important. The way we started by the very grace of God through our faith is the way we continue. It is by grace through faith that we continue on in this walk. That by faith we continue to trust in the Lord. You know, Jesus would say that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like this little child, as he would bring a child in front of the disciples. And what, is a, what, is, what do we recognize with child is a total dependency, a total dependency upon their caretaker. 
needs help with every aspect of life. That's the kind of life of the spirit. That's the, the spirit life that Christ is calling us to. Not that we get to a place of like, good, I'm saved, uh, I'm good, now I'll take it from here. Because you can read Galatians 3.3 where he will say, are you so foolish? Having started in the spirit, you think you'll be perfected in the flesh. Let's finish through this chapter. Romans 7 verse 22 Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. And wow, I just want to pause there. You know, it's just a cool section of scripture. And I pray that that would be our heart towards the word of God. You know, there's some hard parts of the word. And of course, yes, as we're saying, you know, there's, there's things that we have to discern through the spirit. But the law is good, it's holy. It teaches us of our God. And, and I pray that we would. And in your own prayer, I would encourage you to pray for a stronger desire for his word. I believe God would answer that prayer. I believe God would answer that prayer. If, you're, you know, if your Bible time is not what you desire it to be, just ask, say, Lord, open up my eyes to understand your word better. Open up my eyes to understand you better. And I love that Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. Verse 23, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So church, this is one of the key points of tonight. Being purposed for the Lord, but empowered by the Spirit. Is when we find ourselves in this self-determined to live a moral life, we have to get to the place where Paul did in verse 24. And not necessarily this humility, I mean, yes, this humility, but especially the, the question he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? We've got to get to this place where we know that, Jesus, I still need you. Jesus, I need, need you even in this, especially in this. That there's no longer self-determination, but we would say, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? And verse 25, of course, we know the answer. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is that in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I want us to really process today, not to attempt to serve God by obeying uh, rules and rituals. Like, you know, again, it's important, yes, to come to church, and it's important, yes, to pray, and it's important to read our Bible. But what I found so often is when we try to do these things as rituals and rules and as rule keeping, what we do is we fall short. We, we end up like Paul to say, the more I desire to do what is good, the more I fall short. But what we need to do is instead is serve God from this harvest of obedience that is generated from a renewed heart and mind. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He has changed our mind. He has changed our heart. He is, you know, he is doing this work from the inside out, sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, that we could proclaim like Paul did. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, I believe as you know, we finish chapter 7, I would do a disservice just to leave it at that because I believe these first, uh, really chapter 8, uh, the whole thing, it's all great things and just things that the Lord's really been stirring in my heart and my devotion life. But I want us to read together as we begin to wrap up. Let's, let's pick, go even into chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. 
As Paul would say after this, like, so what, what, you know, what a miserable person I am back in verse 24. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Remember, we started off talking about judgment, and he says there is no judgment for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, verse 2, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control uh, over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Church, I just pray that you, re you really meditate and reflect uh, on, on what that's saying there. The heart of this, of this new life in the spirit, this new life according to the spirit. And I want you to consider this question. Think of that mirror. And this is a question of a reflection, a reflection question. Are you trying to develop your Christian life or are you allowing Christ to develop it? You know, are you self-determined and trying to do this walk with God within your own ability and wisdom? Or are you allowing, are you allowing Christ to develop it? And remember that the life of, in Christ is a victorious life. Not one where we will get victory, but one where we stand in victory. And as you think about that, our victory is not something we achieve, it's something we receive. So if you're battling today like Paul was, if you're battling and you're realizing the covetousness and these other things in your heart, well, I want you to remember that, that you can receive these things in the same way you began in this walk is the same way you are delivered from the things that we're struggling with, is that we come to the Lord trusting in him, having faith in him. And remember that harvest of good deeds, that fruit. Remember, fruit doesn't come from trying, but that fruit comes from trusting. And I pray that you would really consider those things today, that you would really allow chapter 7 to be this revealer of your walk today, that you would really reflect on where you're at with the Lord. And I believe many of us today are purposed to live for Jesus Christ. But are you empowered through the Spirit? Is it the Spirit that's driving this? being purposed for the Lord, empowered by the Spirit. So as we would have the worship team come up, you know, of course, as, as we share these things and as we share life-giving truths, I, I want to remind you, if, if this would speak to anybody in this room, that you are not a product of chance. You are not a series of unlucky, uh, of lucky circumstances. Like, we are created by God. God has set the standards of morality and he's even delivered us from the bondage of trying to do these things in ourselves. because really that bondage is that if I try to do these things in my own, I'm gonna fail. If I try to just live to be a good person, there's no good person that's gonna get to heaven. It's only those that have been born again in the spirit. Only those who have said, Lord, I'm not good enough. And I just would even encourage if there's anyone here today that if you don't yet know Jesus, that today would be the day that today would be the day that you would receive that life-giving power, that you would be sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. So I would encourage, if there's anybody, maybe this is a first-time commitment, or maybe you know, you're, you're really convicted as you were 
and maybe even challenged in this question, am I just trying to develop my own Christian life? Am I trying to do this thing in my own power? Maybe today you're backslidden. That you've professed that faith, but you found yourself today just completely wayward from the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to turn back, to simply trust, to simply believe that. And if that's you, what I would encourage you to do is stand. And, and keep in mind, it's not this trying. You're taking the step of trust. You're trusting and saying, Lord, I've been trying to do this in my own, and I need you to do it. So if that's you tonight, I encourage that you take a stand tonight for the Lord. Say, Lord, that's me. Amen. Father, I do pray for those standing. God, I pray for those that are online or even on the radio, God, that have heard this, Lord, and your conviction, not condemnation, your conviction has touched their soul. Lord, I pray for them. God, I pray that they would acknowledge right now before you, God, that they have missed your perfect moral standard. God, they've sinned against you. God, they're deserving of your judgment. But Lord, believe, Jesus Christ, that you died for that. That you are our, their propitiation, God, that you took their sin upon yourself, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. God, I pray that they would say that in their own words, God, to you through prayer. God, that they would believe in, your, in their heart, God, that you are alive today, Jesus. You're interceding on our behalf, ready to receive us into your perfect kingdom. And God, we know that anybody that confesses that and believes that is a new creation in Christ, sealed with the Spirit. So we lift them up to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.